Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, stop and search. When is it reasonable for the police to stop members of the public and demand to frisk them on pain of being taken down to the station if they refuse? Home Secretary Prissy Patel has permanently lifted restrictions on this hugely controversial practice whenever the police think violence may occur. But this follows a recent report by the Independent Office of Police Conduct, which called for action to reverse the disproportionate use of stop and search on people from black, Asian and other ethnic minority backgrounds. We'll be hearing from Mike Bangole, who researches race, racism and representation at King's College London, also co-hosts the Jam Politics podcast. But... We'd also like to hear from you as well. If you're listening live via Twitter Spaces to Byline Radio, there is a little microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. If you tap that and you want to join in, maybe you've got an experience that you want to share with us. Maybe you can shed some light on the whole question of stop and search, whether you've been working for law enforcement or whether you yourself have been stopped on the street. Maybe you've got a question to ask of Mike as well, but by all means, do join in. We're keen to hear as many different voices as we possibly can. And before we get cracking as well, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. If you don't know what that is, well, it's a brilliant monthly newspaper edited by my colleague Hardeep Matharu. Free and fearless, independent journalism that isn't controlled by oligarchs or people who live somewhere else or who have offshore accounts and somehow manage to control big parts of the British media. It is just honest journalism. So if you believe in that and you want to support it, please think about taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. You get details of how you can do that on our equally brilliant news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. So, uh, Mike Bancola, welcome to Byline Radio. Good to have you with us. You are right? Yeah, not too bad. Thank yeah, you. nice to speak to you, Mike. I think I think your first time uh, on Byline Radio. It is actually, yeah. Yeah, no, great, great. So, uh, Mike, for people who haven't heard this development, j- just explain the change that Priti Patel has initiated and why it's so important. So the government is lifting restrictions placed on stop and search in areas where they anticipate violent crime. So the, essentially it's an expansion of the use of Section 60. Now Section 60 gives officers the right to search people without reasonable grounds. And we're going to see an expansion of that as a result of this, this new, this, this kind of new instruction by Prince Patel. So the reason why this is problematic is because even with this reasonable reason or reasonable grounds to, to search, to stop and search, we still see racialized outcomes when it comes to stop and search. We still see black people more likely to be stopped and searched. We still see black people more likely to face force by the police. So removing that safeguard, removing that requirement is only going to exacerbate those racial racialized outcomes when it comes to policing. And that's obviously a massive issue because we have seen in the past what can happen when there is tension between ethnic minority communities and the police. And, you know, this will lead to more black people, more, more ethnic minorities being stopped and searched without reasonable grounds. And that's likely to cause more tension. And, you know, that's obviously not good for kind of society and kind of cohesion, which we've been hopefully trying to build towards following the Buyers Matter protest in 2020. Now, the government says the changes are part of its strategy to tackle violent crime. And the the 
there are still restrictions, aren't there? I think on the amount of time that yes, so unrestricted, as it were. I know it's a contradiction in terms that unrestricted stop and search can be operated. So I think it uh, it, it, it can only be enforced for twenty four hours, although it can then be extended to 48 hours. hours, so up to up to yeah. 48 hours. So it, 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 it isn't the right for the police to indiscriminately stop and search at all times. It will be at particular periods, but previously, as I understand it, the law said it was at times when the police believe that serious violence will occur, but the language has changed. Now it's at moments when the police believe that serious violence may occur. What's the significance of those little linguistic tweaks? I think an important point to make is even when we had this kind of reasonable grounds for a stop and search, we, we still saw that loosely interpreted by the police. So it could be that there's a group of young black men, you know, in a, put together in a group, and that's reasonable grounds to stop and search for those black men because they're in a group and that's maybe deemed as subjectively viewed as to be suspicious demean or suspicious behavior so even removing that what happens is that's you know that's going to you're going to open up a can of worms where black men are being stopped and searched for absolutely no reason and and yeah it's obviously going to lead to some really racialized outcomes yeah and again one of the caveats previously was that the police had to inform communities that these unrestricted stop-and-search powers were in force. Again, now, as I understand it, there is no requirement upon the police to inform communities. So if you're a young black man or any person walking down the street, the police, the first you might hear of this is the moment at which you are stopped and searched. Yeah, what's funny about kind of expanding stop-and-search powers is that Stop and search is actually really ineffective. So I think there's a really robust study by some academics using police data. And they found that stop and search has little to no impact when it comes to reducing or deterring violent crime. So the idea that stop and search is powers being expanded by the, the Conservative government to address violent crime in particular areas, it misses the mark when it comes to what the data says and what the data tells us about how effective stop and search is. So if anything, if the governments are concerned with, as Boris Johnson said today in a cabinet meeting, apparently, if they are concerned of addressing crime, 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 well, actually, expanding stop and search powers is likely to have the opposite effect. Stop and search, is, there's literally no evidence it's just stop and search is effective when it comes to reducing violent crime. For younger listeners, I think it's perhaps worth revisiting the SUS laws, which are a kind of a, a version of stop and search, aren't they? Almost a prehistoric version of it, but for many of us, a, a law that was in force in our lifetimes. The SUS laws, which were contributory factors, really, to the riots of the 1980s. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're too young to have been there, Michael, but you, you know how significant these were. No, I know, I know exactly how significant they were. And, and often when we see some of the d- disturbances and riots that, that have happened in, in, in parts of England, uh, you know, they, they, they happen as a result of tension between the police and you know, people of colour minorities. So I think about the London riots of 2011, which I did live through, which I was old enough to kind of experience and, you know, happened around me, happened in in, 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 in the borough I live in, in Wandsworth, there were several riots. And... When you look at the data on that, what we saw is that there was a clear link between stop and search rates 
And, you know, the London bars are rioting. So the London bars that had the highest open search rates, these are the bars where we saw riots. So actually, the riots were caused by this growing tension between the police and, you know, different communities across London. That's only going to be exacerbated now when you see this expansion of stopping search powers without the reasonable grounds, removing that is going to lead to more black people being stopped and searched, as I've kind of said several times already. And yeah, as you, as you mentioned, with, with the SARS laws, this kind of growing tension between, you know, black and minority communities and the police is not a good thing. And I think another point to make, another really important point to make is that I feel like black and minority ethnic people in this country feel like they're already punched down at by this government. You know, when it came to responding to the Lives Matter protest in 2020, the government commissioned this report, the cell report, which essentially tries to minimise the existence of institutional racism. So this is a government that has shown a real lack of desire to address racial inequalities. And by expanding the ability for police officers to stop and search, you know, people without reasonable ground, I think they're showing a commitment or lack of commitment to, to really want to address racial, racial inequality and racial justice. So, you know, this is a real problem, I feel. Yeah. Uh, to just go back to the SUS laws, uh, the, the SUS laws were, I think, part of the 1824 Vagrancy Act, I think I'm pretty sure yeah. in saying. And they were seen as a contributory factor to the Brixton riots in the early 80s. And the police only had to have grounds for suspicion, hence sus, in order to stop somebody on the street. And I think it's now widely recognised that those powers were abused, particularly by the Metropolitan Police in London, but also the police forces uh, around the country and effectively gave the police carte blanche to stop anybody they wanted. But those laws, as with stop and search, laws now were disproportionately used against visible minority people and, and particularly against young black men in, in inner cities. Yeah, we did. We did see that. So I think the SUS laws, the reason why they were so controversial is that it, it meant the police officers could stop and search literally anyone they they, they, they wanted to on the basis of suspicion alone. And, and as, you, as you mentioned, this was weaponized against, you know, black black men in particular. And I think we have we have we have so much evidence and so much data that suggests that you know black people, black men, especially, are going to be on the sharp edge of the, of the state violence under the guise of of stop and search. So you know, black people are, are six times more likely to face force by the police. They're nearly twice as likely to die during or immediately after contact with the police. You know, these really damning numbers. We look at the lockdown. I remember lockdown and how those rules were enforced, especially in the early phase of lockdown in twenty twenty. And what we saw in London during lockdown was that 20,000 young black men were stopped and searched by the police. That's much higher than the numbers for, for, for young white men. So with the conditions in place, with, with, with safeguards in place, we still see these really disproportionate outcomes. The government are now removing some of the safeguards that exist at the moment that have made life somewhat bearable, you could argue, for young black men. So this is almost a return to maybe the law era, if you like. Yeah, sorry, your line was uh, slightly uh, scratchy uh, there for a moment, uh, Mike. Let's, let's bring in uh, Omar Moore, who's a regular contributor to our Byline Radio and Byline Times podcast discussions. Hello, Omar. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Adrian. Thanks very much again for uh, the, your valuable programming. And Mike, uh, really appreciate um, you being on to talk about this. I actually wanted to, and I know, Adrian, you brought this up, 
point to the IOPC report because there was an IOPC report uh, in February of this year which detailed a lot of the abuses that were happening at the Charing Cross police station in particular in London. And all of these kinds of outgrowths of abuse of uh, people and the kinds of things that the police were saying about black people, about women in general, of all racial backgrounds, and about a number of other groups. It's just another reason uh, why I think what we've got now with the scrapping of reasonable grounds is is tantamount to a really, I think, a totalitarian approach uh, to policing black people and, and, and people in general, particularly black people. And I want to just mention the uh, the whole situation regarding youth because we're talking we, we mentioned black men but we also have to really talk about black youngsters boys and girls i mean people who aren't 18 or older than that we're talking about kids that get stopped girls that get stopped black girls black boys look at what happened to child q in school um or or in 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 that realm just a few months ago it was reported just recently but it happened a few months ago and this is going to open the door now to even greater abuse and as mike points out you're you're going to be seeing um uh, more of this and you're not going to see any crime deterrence i mean crime is going to continue this is not about stopping crime this is about abusing power of young people who are black boys and girls this is all this is going to amount to at this point. And there have been so many inquiries. The Angelini inquiry back in 2017, I believe it was, it was a 300-page report. And what we got out of that were all of these guidelines that said, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. And we've not seen any changes at all. And Priti Patel had called for several inquiries. I think she called for the Angelini inquiry. Um, back at the time, maybe, but nothing has been done. And I don't see where deterring crime comes from here. There is, as Mike points out, and I'll just say this to end with, there's absolutely no correlation with getting, with all this stop and frisk. We, we've seen the studies, as Mike points out, there's absolutely no good reason for this at all. And we are now moving further and further, whether it's the policing bill, whether it's the lifting now of the reasonable grounds, we are moving ever closer to a, a very totalitarian um, approach. And it is, is something that is very disturbing, and we have to continue to speak out about it. So those are just a few of the thoughts that I have. I, I don't want to take up too much more time because there's a lot of other things I had on my mind, but I think I'll just leave it there for now. <laughs> well, uh, b before you uh, disappear, Omar, let, let me just share an experience with you, and I don't know whether Mike will have something to contribute on this. You know, I present as white. For, for what it's worth, I have quite a varied ethnic uh, makeup, but you know, to all intents and, uh, uh, and appearances, if you see me on the street, I'm a white guy. Now, I remember once I was moving home. I, I think I'd fallen out with my girlfriend and I was going to live in a, a crummy flat somewhere in Birmingham. And I had pretty much all my worldly possessions in a suitcase and I was walking down quite a nice leafy street to the rather less nice and less leafy flat that I was heading to. And I was stopped. I was just walking along. I was probably early 20s. And two police officers stopped me. 
And they said, can we have a look in your suitcase? What are you doing? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm moving home as it happens. And they said, well, can we have a look in the suitcase? And I said, well, I'd, I'd rather not, if you don't mind. You know, I'd, I felt quite affronted by this. Uh, I felt it was a an unnecessary challenge. I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. And I was feeling pretty low about the situation that I was in. But they were insistent. They were adamant. There were two of them. I'm quite a short and physically unimposing person, so I felt quite threatened by these police officers. I mean, this is this is many years ago now. And, you know, that's without the baggage of discrimination on a daily basis throughout my life, without the baggage of being looked at with suspicion, basically with what we would now call the advantage of white privilege. And I felt very angry at that point. I felt, you know, as I opened my suitcase and showed them that I hadn't stolen anything, and they justified this search on the basis that there had been a lot of burglaries in the area recently, as if as if you'd be escaping on foot with a suitcase. <laughs> but it, 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 it stuck with me. It stuck with me for many years and, and angered me and alienated me from the police as a young man. Uh, and as I say, that's, that's, that's just from my particular perspective. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Liam. I was just touching the point you raised actually earlier about young people. And I do think that's a really important point to raise. So I, there's a story in the Guardian towards the back end of last year. It was reports that a 14 year old boy, black boy had been stopped by the police 30 times in a two-year period. Now, what's really sad about this is because this is his first kind of encounter with the state, if you like. He's been stopped by the police 30 times. No charges have been made. You know, but that's, that can't be right. This is going to shape, you know, his, his life. He's going to be suspicious of, of authority figures, and, and, and you could argue rightfully so. You know, this is really damaging what we're doing to young people here, you know, constantly treating them with suspicion, you know, just for existing. This this, this can't be right. And I feel, um, you raised the point about, you know, women and some of the scenes we've seen in Charing Cross and some of the things that have come out. This feels like the most tone-deaf moment to expand police powers. We've literally seen several examples of the police overstepping the mark when they've been given more powers. I think Wayne Cousin used, you know, COVID regulations um, during a murder of Sarah Everard. So, you know, expanding police powers at this moment in our, in our history feels like an incredibly tone-deaf and deeply insensitive thing to do. Go on, Amar. Did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, and um, Mike speaks exactly to, to the point that I'm making because I, I really don't see where where you are, if you are really trying to uh, reduce crime, there we have knife crime, we have all kinds of crime across London and beyond. If you're really trying to reduce that, you really have to take a hard look in the mirror and ask yourself, does stop and frisk, and furthermore, removing reasonable grounds from stop and frisk, effectuate a reduction or any attempt to reduce crime? And it doesn't. It clearly does not. And, and the last thing I want to say about this is that when you're looking at all of the abuses that Mike has raised, that I've mentioned, and that you've mentioned, 
whether it's with Sarah Everard, whether it's with Child Q, whether it's with the uh, appalling behavior of the police after the, uh, I think the two young black girls had been uh, had been found dead and they were taking cell phone pictures and sharing them and all kinds of things of their bodies and, and having jokes about that and how disgusting that was. Mm. There is him to curb the behavior of the police here. You can have a million IOPC reports and you can have the Angelini inquiry and you can have these uh, all these reports, but until there's concrete action and there's a change of the culture and the entrenchment of the institutionalized racism in the country, I don't think you're going to see very much changing. And it is incumbent upon us to continue to vote. I know that we've got this elections bill that's very troublesome. And the policing bill, of course, is a very troublesome thing. So we have to keep voting. We have to keep putting our voices up and uh, communicating and educating. And th th this really troublesome policing bill just is the, the rotten cherry on top of a rotten cake. I mean, you've got this, you've got the lifting of reasonable grounds. Uh, I think, again, I want to just reemphasize once again, this is a move toward totalitarianism. In fact, I would dare say we're already in that moment here. And mm. uh, I mean, it, oh, oh my, just, just, to, just to kind of question that a little bit, I'd, I'd say two things about this. I'm not necessarily arguing against your broader narrative here, but, you know, there are restrictions to this law. The, the, the right of the police to stop and search when they suspect there may be serious violence afoot. That's one restriction, there may be serious violence afoot. And it is, a, a, it is restricted initially for 24 hours, can then be authorised for a further 24 hours, adding up to 48 hours in total. It's not, a, it's not an untrammeled right to stop and search indiscriminately. And and at that point, at least, it, in in theory, anyway, it does. There is a distance, and it's one of the reasons why I mentioned the sus laws earlier. There is distance between this legislation and the sus laws. One last thing, though, uh, just to come back to you for a moment, Adrian, mm, mm. is that even with the contouring of the temporal moment, the twenty-four hour period, yeah, the fact that grounds are lifted to me is extremely problematic and even in the context of a 24-hour period lifting reasonable grounds to me says the bet all bets are off and even within a 24-hour period reasonable grounds gives them uh, the lifting of that gives the police carte blanche and that disturbs greatly it is disturbing uh, just to go back on uh, the photographs that you mentioned as well just i think it's worth noting that the two women who whose murdered bodies were photographed by the two police officers were nicole smallman and bieber henry and two metropolitan police officers uh, dennis jaffa and jamie lewis were convicted of the crime uh, having photographed and joked around the death of those two bodies which of course yeah it doesn't make it okay but again it does indicate at least that there is some semblance of, of decency somewhere uh, in the police but in that case sadly it, it took a long a long time to find it um, uh, mike i just want to talk to you about and, and omar touched on the child q case and a, a, a phrase in a discussion that we had on the podcast at that time just resonates with me and you talked about 14 year old lad had been stopped 30 times by the police and this is the adultification of 
black children in particular. You know, they are seen as adult and treated as adult in a way that particularly their white counterpart their white counterparts aren't. Yeah, it really is worrying because what what happens is you also, in some cases, view yourself as less than. So if you're constantly being treated as a criminal, you're constantly being treated with suspicion. You're going to think maybe is there something is there something wrong with me? Is there something I'm doing? Do you do enter that face and as you do end up blaming yourself? And it's important that young people aren't being treated as criminals at such a young age. They aren't being brutalized by the police because that can really shape your life in in negative ways. Uh, it's 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 just so it's it's so so damaging for young people. I can't explain this enough because. These people, this is their first encounter with the state, constantly being stopped and searched. I mean, we, we have so, so many stories of people who have, you know, been angered by this who, and their life's chances have been, have been shaped negatively by this. So it is really sad. We do, we do see this adultification of young people and we do see this, yeah, this, this overly repressive state apparatus being used against them. And, you know, this, this, this kind of new introduction by Priscilla Patel is only going, to, only going to exacerbate this, I feel. Yeah. Uh, The government's argument for this is to challenge violent crime, particularly knife crime. I mean, is there anything to be said for that argument? I mean, clearly anybody who walks the streets, which is pretty much all of us, any of us who have children, which is some of us, will be concerned about the the prevalence of knife crime and, you know, the devastating impact. I've spoken to far too many people who've lost loved ones, uh, people like I should hasten to add, of of varying ethnicities. But, you know, there, there is sadly a lot of violent crime out there. There is sadly a lot of violent knife crime out there. Well, I think a lot of us listening to this are, are truly worried and, and appalled by this, this, this sort of spate of knife crime that we've seen for, for a number of years in London and across Britain. But stop and search, as I, as I kind of mentioned earlier, there's no data that suggests that stop and search reduces or deters violent crime. And I think instead of expanding police powers, and again, I feel like this is a really weird moment to do that, instead of expanding police powers, the government should be focused on a more proactive approach to tackling crime. So a more proactive approach, in my view, is investments in early intervention, it's investments in mental health services, it's reversing cuts to youth services. These are the ways in which we can reduce crime. Rather than criminalising young people, rather than brutalising young black people, rather than treating black people with suspicion and increasing tension between minority communities and the police, it's important, I thought, to be more proactive it's expanding police powers at this moment in time again just falls really tone deaf and ultimately it's ineffective. If you want to address crime and address violent crime in Britain and London, wherever it might be, expanding police powers and, and giving them more power to stop and serve people simply is not the answer. And the data mm-hmm. tells us that. And, and Mike, uh, last year, the Sewell report was published. This was a report commissioned by Boris Johnson and the report found that there is no evidence of structural racism in Britain. And structural racism is is kind of one of those phrases, I think, that people, if they're not steeped in it, just might find a little bit difficult and a little bit alienating. But I suppose when we talk about structural racism, and I think apart from Sewell himself, very few people would think that there isn't evidence of, uh, of structural racism. But to, to kind of demonstrate that this thing exists, you say, well, look at the 
the disproportionate number of black people in prison, the disproportionate number of black people in mental health institutions, for example, or within the mental health service. And it doesn't take long, really, to to demonstrate that we are a, a structurally racist society. But the Sewell report, which, as I say, was, was kind of condoned and commissioned by the government, seemed almost set up to demonstrate an outcome that the government wanted, which is to, to suggest that there is no such thing as structural racism. Well, the Sewell report was commissioned with conclusions already in mind, right? It's the most one of the most widely discredited, discredited reports in, in government history. And it was a crude attempt to shift the focus away from systemic racism. Look, when we speak about systemic racism, we are essentially speaking about institutions that reproduce racialized outcomes that negatively disproportionate people of colour. And the police is one of the most obvious examples of that. Again, we have seen so many sort of bits of evidence, bits of data that suggest that black people and more likely to face forced by the police and more likely to be stopped to search by the police. These were racialized outcomes, and we see that the institutional policing consistently produced these racialized outcomes. So I do think the Sarah report, it really does fly in the face of evidence and the lived experience of people of colour. People of colour are on the sharp edge of a state violence by the police. They, I'm sure lots of black people in this country can tell you exactly what institutional racism is because they've, they've experienced it. They, they, they live it, unfortunately, we live it every single day. We live it every single day. And, 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 and uh, yeah, I, I just think the Sarah report was, it, it, again, the government's trying to, I think even in, even some parts of the report blame minority communities for racism or for the racism they 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 experience. So it was a crude attempt to shift focus away from systemic racism. It's, it's not a report that's been taken seriously by many scholars or, or thinkers on race and racism in Britain. Mm. No, but I suppose yeah, crucially though, it has been adopted by government, hasn't it, as as evidence that structural or systemic racism doesn't really exist and therefore can be ignored so yeah it, it just kind of i suppose highlights the difficulty if you if you start from that point of view yeah then you know the the, the kind of discussion that we're having it, it's it's kind of like there is one discussion over there being held by ministers amongst themselves, and then there's this other discussion that we're having over here. Which... I think that's an important, important point, Adrian. And I think what the government's approach to racism is has been since the uprisings we saw again. Those protests we saw in 2020 were the largest anti-racist protest in British history. So in response to that, the government's approach has been to minimise the existence of racism in Britain. It's been to say, well, listen. Britain is a fantastic place for people of colour, for ethnic minorities to live. Sure, we have our issues, but there are issues in other parts of the world, and they, they will obviously point to America as the obvious example of that. And I think what's really dangerous about this approach is that the Conservative Party weaponised its minority MPs to justify this. So you see people like Priti Patel, she's the face of the authoritarian politics that are going to disproportionately affect people of colour, ethnic minorities in Britain. So it is really, really dangerous. I think ultimately the government's response to race and racism issues has been to manufacture this culture war. So all the Black Matter activists, all the Black Matter thinkers, all of us who protested in 2020, we've been framed by the government as people who complained about nothing. You know, it's racism, of course it exists, but institutional racism don't be silly, guys. Come on, that's not really an issue here. There are some instances of individualised racism and, yeah, there have been some, you know, unfortunate outcomes in policing, but it's not really an issue. That's the government's tone. And if you raise concerns about British, Britain's history and how that feeds into what happens today or racism in Britain today, you are deemed to be a woke, anti-British culture warrior 
who is pursuing a, a, a radical woke agenda. That's been the government's approach to race and racism. And I think what's important for us is to really push back against that and to continually provide examples of institutional racism in Britain, of, of our lived experiences, you know, bear this out. And it's important to keep raising our voices about this and to keep putting pressure on this government because this is a government that don't have the best interests of minorities at heart, despite the fact that it's the most diverse cabinets we've had in Britain. Very interesting point, Mike. Thank you. Adrian Goldberg here with Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up on the Byline Times podcast. And I'm joined by Mike Bancole from uh, King's College London, also co-host the Jam Politics podcast. And we're talking about the lifting of certain restrictions on stop and search. And if you want to join in and you're listening live on Byline Radio, if you're listening on your smartphone and using the Twitter app, you will see a little microphone in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen. If you've got an experience to share or a question to ask or just a comment that you want to make, by all means, do join in. Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast come from the Byline Times. And the Byline Times is an independent, fearless monthly newspaper. If you take out a subscription to the Byline Times, you'll not only be getting a great quality newspaper, which tells the truth without reflecting any corporate or political agenda, you'll also be helping to support the podcast and byline radio so go on do it it's a good thing to do uh, get more details on our website at bylinetimes.com that's bylinetimes.com uh, omar moore is with us as well and for those of you who don't know omar omar is a regular contributor to byline radio he's a lawyer he also makes the uh, popcorn reel podcast as well and uh, finds himself drawn to join in so uh, let, let's make the most of you being here uh, omar are there, are there any pertinent differences omar any relevant differences between the stop and search in the uk and the united states where you now live oh, that's a great question adrian i think there are um, in all respects not really except the fact that here in the united states it's a bit more expansive. The police have even more power. Uh, in a great sense, in a, in a real sense, they are literally, and I guess it would apply in my native country there in the UK, they are literally judge, jury, and executioner. Their police powers are broadly protected by the United States Supreme Court, by state laws. And uh, in a lot of jurisdictions across this country, um, police have untrammeled power. They really do. And uh, when uh, police are on the rare occasions that police are indicted, and it's extremely rare that they are brought up on charges for anything, um, on those very rare occasions, the juries in trials, their standard is what the reasonable officer would have done in the circumstances, which gives broad latitude um, for the officer in question. Um, but specifically to stop and frisk itself, uh, the kinds of ingredients that are placed in United States jurisdictions um, is the same, except there's just broader police power in general. They're much broader, a lot more latitude. There aren't the time periods. You've cited this, Adrian, about the time period. This, the lifting of reasonable grounds does in the UK. There is not a 24-hour time period at all. The police can at any time stop you at any time they want to. There doesn't have to be any real articulable suspicion except for what's called probable cause. And often that gets violated. Let me give you one quick example of this. Um, the last week or two, a, a, a coach was stopped 
on the highway, I believe it was in Virginia or in another state, I forget which state it was, of lacrosse players, uh, an all-black female lacrosse team, were stopped. And they were initially, the stop was for the driver of the coach um, being in the wrong lane, being in the lane that he perhaps should not have been in. Then the police who stopped the, the coach came into the coach and told the entire lacrosse team, an all-black female lacrosse team, we are searching you to see if there are any drugs in your bag. And so for the next, goodness knows how long, 20 minutes or so, they actually brought a police dog in to search the bags. They actually didn't find anything at all, which is no surprise, but they actually opened up one of the bags that had a gift in it that was unwrapped. I'm sorry, that was actually wrapped, excuse me. And they asked the person whose bag it was, well, what's this? And then the person said, well, it's a gift from someone to me. And then the police officer said to her, well, why haven't you opened it? Why is it? <laughs> so the, the, the bottom line is here is that they are being sued, these police, for doing this. And you would think that when a dog, a, a dog that's sniffing drugs would actually be barking before that dog even starts to really search anything. So the bottom line is, is that it was an unreasonable search. And that's what is being alleged by mm. the all female lacrosse team. So that that's an example of untrammeled and un, 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 unabridged police power, which is dangerous, which violates all kinds of constitutional rights. And that is stop and search. That really is an unjustified thing. So that's just one example. Mm, mm, mm. And, and I guess, Mike, the fear is that this change in the law is a further notch towards Britain heading that way, the way of the United States. Yeah, it's, it is a real fear. And again, I do feel like we are keen in Britain to constantly point to the United States and be like, oh, look at how terrible things are there. Things are so, so bad over there. And look, I understand it. America's a, a, a more police crime and violence against black people is, is, is more lethal on the basis that America's a more lethal country than, America, than, than the UK. But we do have our own issues here, and I do think we have our own issues to, to confront and face here. We do see, see similar kind of racialized outcomes when it comes to stop and search and, and policing and yeah, the trajectory of the country at the moment when it comes to racial justice in, in all guises and all forms across all sectors of society is deeply worrying. I don't think the Conservative government, despite the diversity that they, they boast about so often and, and they actually weaponize, I don't think this Conservative government have the interest of minorities at heart and that is deeply, deeply concerning. Let's bring in Sarah who wants to join in our conversation. Welcome to Bylon Radio, Sarah. How are you? Good evening, all. I'm very well, thank you. Um, first of all, I'd just like to apologise in that I don't know what the restrictions that have been lifted are, but um, I just want to just share some observations that I've got. So, because with Stop and Search, it's kind of there all the time, but then things happen that remind you of just, you know, how just ridiculous it is. But anyway, um, so the first thing that happened with me recently was... Um, you must have all seen the two black guys that were wearing puffer jackets and were stopped because they weren't appropriately dressed for the weather, which when you're black, we don't feel the heat the way everybody else does. I mean, I know for sure for me, like at work, I've got a scarf, I've got 
cardigan because when the AC is on and I'm cold, I'd rather I regulate myself than have somebody speak to FM to do all of that. So that was the first thing, those two um, guys getting stopped for wearing their puffers. And, you know, who knows what they do for a living, what time of day they left home, but their clothing was inappropriate for the weather. So that was the reason to get stopped. And then, yeah. yeah, and then shortly after them, there's a group called Mentivity, I think they're called. And these, um, it's like a youth mentoring organisation. So these young people, they were just out having their lunch. I'm all afraid, actually, where Prince Charles was recently getting all the hugs and kisses. They were just on their lunch break and then a police van saw them. And when, they, when the police started talking to them, they said, well, we've stopped you because we were driving past. And when you saw us, you kind of all kind of went in different directions and in my head I thought well if I was them as well I'm like there's a group of four or five of us you see a police van you think oh you know what let's not be in a group because we might get stopped let's just disperse whatever I don't know anyways and then um, after those two incidents I thought to myself you know what if I see a young person of colour that and I kind of just randomly said looks under 25 how I decide that I don't know I'm going to be an active bystander. So just last week, actually, I was um, I came out of the car park, High Street Ken, going onto the High Street to go and buy a stupid candle. And then I was walking and I saw three police officers, all white, and they were surrounding this, um, he looked about 16, black kid. And I was kind of walking and kind of walking. And then I thought, hold on a minute, doubled back. And I thought, no, I need to do something. So... I went over to him and I said, are you okay? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I kind of walked away, but didn't walk away. I walked away so that I was still in, I could see what was going on and I wasn't going to leave until I knew that he was okay and he'd been let go. And I think about after five minutes, they kind of walked off, got in their van and off they went. But um, I guess my thing is, Yes, they've kind of enacted this or they're going to make it happen. But what are we going to do to be active bystanders, to, especially with young people, just to ensure that, um, you know, they're OK, they're comfortable? Because that particular young man, whilst I asked him, was he OK? And then I kind of walked away to be, you know, in the line of sight, but not directly involved. It was that thing of, I don't want to go up to him and say to him, are you OK? I don't know how many times he's been stopped before. Is it his first time? Is he feeling rubbish about it? But I just want to know, what are we doing to be actively there more for the younger people if that doesn't sound too selfish for elder black men that are kind of going through <laughs> no, no no i think you raise a really good point Sarah. you mentioned the two guys in the puffer jackets the, the one story that i can remember was a guy in croydon in south london and the police stopped him for wearing too many layers in warm weather it's just you know one of those bizarre incidents that it's difficult to ascribe to anything other than racism. Uh, I'd welcome thoughts from Mike and Omar in terms of what we can do as active bystanders. I I just want to throw in one story, Sarah, that on the Byline Times podcast uh, a little while ago, we were talking about the Metropolitan Police and the departure of Cressida Dick. And of course, that was indirectly related to the awful comments that were made by officers at uh, Charing Cross Police Station, racist, sexist, misogynist, whatever, uh, all of the above. But one lady called, I think, Koshka Duff from memory, who I interviewed, Koshka was being an active bystander and uh, she 
you know, was encouraging, uh, I think, a young man who was being stopped to know his rights, was handing out leaflets to people if they were being arrested by the police. She ended up herself being strip searched by the Metropolitan Police. And it took her years, about eight years for the Metropolitan Police to finally apologise for that. And, you know, she was in the right, the police were in the wrong. That was the, you know, ultimately where we got to. But there, I thought there that, is, yeah. Yeah, there is a risk to, to being an active. I wouldn't discourage you, by the way. I think it's important that we're all sort of active bystanders in all sorts of ways in society. But, you know, there is there is a risk associated with it. I think a lot of this goes back to your earlier point, Adrian. You spoke about how young black people uh, have to grow up a lot older than maybe others. And unfortunately, to kind of deter or to, to let these young people, you know, to provide them support, it's important for us to, to let them know their rights. And I remember as a young person growing up, I used to always hear my parents say, you have to work twice as hard, you have to do this. And I used to think, what on earth are they talking about? Why are they talking to me about all this stuff? But as you get older and older, you realise, and I do think, unfortunately, for, for, for young people, when it comes to being active bystanders, it is about reminding them of their rights if they do get stopped and searched. So I think something that's been really important in recent years has been the rise of social media. You know, social media has allowed us to see some of the most egregious examples of police violence against black people. And it has, you know, brought to light some of these issues. So sometimes being an active bystander is about raising these issues and, and, and placing them on the social media so, so everyone else can see and we can kind of mobilise support together and campaign against some of the violence we see. So I think it's about supporting young people and, and making sure they know their rights, which is which I feel is really unfortunate because we are asking young people who are 13, 14 to, 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 to grow up in some cases and know that unfortunately you might get stopped and searched by the police and you might be brutalised by the police. That is... It's really, really sad that we live in a world like that. But unfortunately, it has to be done at the moment as things stand. And also kind of filming things on social media, putting them on social media, raising awareness on social media, because the police, unfortunately, are trying to, or, or the government's trying to cut down on protests. So protests might actually be another way in which the police violence is used against you know people of colour. So it's important, maybe social media is, I think, is an important forum for raising these issues. Mm. Uh, just to clarify, by the way, and, and we've got people joining us certainly uh, on Byline Radio Live, joining us all the time. Obviously, if you're on the podcast, you're listening from the start, I guess. But just to clarify what the changes in the law are, this was a, a letter to police forces from Priti Patel under Section 60 of the Criminal Justice and Public Order Act. The law gives police officers the right to search people without reasonable grounds when, in the police's view, serious violence is expected and these this unrestricted right to stop and search can initially be for 24 hours that can be extended then to 48 hours previously needed a senior police officer to sign off this particular provision but now it can be an officer as junior as uh, an inspector and so it, it, it's this sense, isn't it, that, that the police are more able to do this and will be able to do it more often than they currently do, and it will become less exceptional. Uh, it may also be, and I, I think this is worth reflecting on, Mike, it, it, may, it may just be the normal way in which these things are done, but the fact that it was the, the change was flagged up in a letter to police forces this is how we change the law. This was not subject 
to parliamentary scrutiny or debate and Omar's talking about the you know the move towards totalitarianism you know I don't I don't want to get too hyped up about that or I suspect we'd get more listeners if I did but you know I I think we need to be very wary of authoritarianism and, and a creep towards totalitarianism but when something of this magnitude isn't discussed in parliament isn't debated then that is worrying, actually, isn't it, from that point of view? It is worrying. I think this is a government that's tried to avoid accountability at all costs. We are seeing the crackdown on protests. That's a response to both the Black Lives Matter protests and also some of the activism by by climate activists who've been raising concerns about the climate and climate change. We've also seen the the introduction of Voice for ID, which will you know, disproportionately affect people of colour and, and their ability to vote in elections. So this is a government that actually don't like accountability and, you know, forcing legislation of this magnitude through the back door is another reminder of that. This isn't a government that's likely to be scrutinised in any way. And, you know, as well as not being, not liking accountability or, or being scrutinised, they are advocating for and, in, and, and putting in place deeply authoritarian policies. And, the, the fear is that you blink and then before you know it, Britain has become or it, it has become a fully authoritarian state, which is a real, real likelihood under this Conservative government. Yeah, and I'm not being dismissive, by the way, of, of Omar. He brings great insights. But I think the word you use, actually, is probably more accurate, I think, authoritarian rather than totalitarian. I know we're dancing on the head of a pin, maybe, you know, which which Orwellian nightmare we, which we're choosing to describe. But I think authoritarian, the idea that the government can impose things, can do things without checks, without balances, it's not quite totalitarian, is it? But it is certainly veering towards authoritarianism. Uh, no, I think it's a really interesting point. Um, oh, Diane, I thought what well, Diane wanted to join in for a moment. I was going to invite Diane into the uh, conversation, but Diane has, uh, has just uh, disappeared completely. Um, so, uh, Omar, will you, will you accept my challenge and, and that it's maybe uh, maybe authorita- an authoritarian drift rather than a totalitarian one? I, I I would actually I I <laughs> and rarely do I do I do this with with some of the things I say about these things, but yeah, I think um, I may have uh, jumped just a little bit there. I think authoritarianism is the realm, so I would certainly agree. I think I uh, in saying totalitarianism went a little bit too far. I think <laughs> that's the, very the, reasonable of you to. We can't have radio phone-ins where people politely agree. <laughs> that's, that's, that's madness. Let, let's bring in um, let's bring in Ryan who wants to uh, join in. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? You okay? Uh, yes. Hi. Um, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think I've uh, prematurely requested. I was going to request about ten or fifteen minutes into this because I've just joined. Um, as someone that's been repeatedly stopped and searched, um, I just got to get on with something. But I'm listening to this in the background. Is it okay if I can speak in about ten minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if we still let you both. I, I love Thanks the way so that much. Ryan. I love the way that Ryan just casually says he's been uh, stopped and searched about fifteen times. I mean, that like Mike, you mentioned the lad had been stopped thirty times. I mean, I, here I am, you know, prattling on about the one occasion that I can remember about thirty years ago, 
when I was stuck walking around Birmingham with my suitcase. That was once, and that stuck with me. I don't know if you've ever been stopped and searched, Mike, but, you, you know, the, the the psychological impact of that, and as I say, if you're, if you're part of a group, uh, a, a, a part of a community that experiences disadvantage in other ways as well, it will it will all reinforce your sense of perhaps not belonging, not feeling as though you're in inverted commas a a proper member of society. And you, you, I mentioned earlier the the kind of the disproportionate presence of black people in the in the mental health system, you know, in psychiatric services, and you wonder how much this plays into that. No, it's, 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 it's lucky to play a massive role. You know, if you're constantly being treated with suspicion from a young age, we have to remember, we're talking about children as young as 14, you know, being stopped and searched by the police, routinely stopped and searched by the police. Um, if, if you're that young, constantly experiencing this abuse by the police, that's going to obviously have detrimental effects to your mental health. You're going to be thinking, as a young person, you're thinking, what, 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 what have I done? Because as young people, you're taught to respect authority figures. You're taught to, you know, you, you do as you're told. You, you, and if these people in authority with all this power are constantly stopping the searching, you might question yourself and think, am I doing something wrong? You know, is there something wrong with me as a person? So it's just so worrying because for, Ryan just casually mentioned that he's been stopping the search 15 times. And that just shows you that for some people they've grown up just knowing that that's a normal part of their life and it shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be that growing up you know that you're going to be stopped and searched by the police routinely that should not be a normal part of life for any young person Mm -hmm. Uh, paul has sent me a very interesting message on Twitter, and he says the McPherson report, and of course, for people who don't know, I think it's worth pointing out the McPherson report following the murder of the racist murder of Stephen Lawrence described for the first time institutional racism in the police in the Metropolitan Police Force. So that, that's that's why this is significant. Paul says the McPherson report in 1999 highlighted young black males being stopped and searched five times more than their white counterparts. In 2019, so 20 years on, young black males were nine times more likely to be stopped and searched. Now, that's just astonishing, isn't it? 20 years earlier, McPherson identifies institutional racism, and yet in the two decades that follow, the situation has become even more disproportionately weighted against young black men. And that, uh, Paul, is good enough to quote Palm Sandu, the first non-white chief superintendent at Scotland Yard. She said there was no significant reduction in knife crime. And in addition to Omar's comments, Paul says, what about those officers that already abuse their powers? Doesn't get this give them even more opportunity to abuse? Does everyone stopped need to know the law to know when the mark has been overstepped? Go on, Omar. Yeah, I, I, I think Paul raises a really important questions. And I, and I, and I think that Again, with the authoritarian uh, sweep here, you give, like you do here in the United States, a police officer the ability to be judge, jury, and executioner. 
Uh, even if there's a temporal aspect to it, the time period, it, it just gives those persons who have already abused license to continue doing so and with greater impunity. As I go back again to the IOPC report of February of this year, um, detailing the kinds of behaviors and the egregious behaviors of the police in Charing Cross Station in particular. You continue to breed a mindset like that when you continue to strip away the rights of people and expand police powers. It's just really, I hate to put it down as, as simple as that, but I think it is quite as simple as that. And when they're, when you've given people, when you've stripped away reasonable grounds, you, you, there's no gray areas left. There's absolutely none. And, and there's no correlation between you. There is no reduction in knife crime by doing it this way. There have to be, and Mike talked about this earlier, there have to be more proactive and better and more efficient ways of policing and engaging with people in communities. There has to be a wholesale change in how that's done. And certainly, as Paul mentions, when you, you know, why is it that every person would have to be educated on the law? Why can't, and this is a rhetorical question, why can't the police be the ones who have to look at what they do? Now, obviously, look, it's a rhetorical question, then there needs to be changes throughout the institution itself. We have to start to redefine what policing is. That's really where I think foundationally we have to start, uh, among other things. And in the United States and around the Black Lives Matter movement, there has been this phrase, defund the police. I think from a British perspective, that can be quite difficult to understand, or certainly from my perspective, when you hear defund the police, it sounds a bit... What you know, they, 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 you've got to have police. We want better police. You don't want racist police, but you've got to have police. But I've come to understand that call to defund the police to really be a call for the kind of things that Mike was talking about, Omar, the kind of the investment in prevention, the investment in diversion. So instead of equipping the police to the hilt with weaponry, you actually spend some of the money that might otherwise be spent on tooling them up, for want of a better phrase, with initiatives that might actually turn young people away from crime. Absolutely. Uh, and just to be very brief, Adrian, in response, uh, I, I think, number one, that's that's absolutely it. And I think the other things that you have to um, take into account um, is the reallocation of resources, because as you pointed out, there is a militarization of police here in the United States um, that you wouldn't know, depending on where you are in certain parts of the United States, whether you are in the United States or whether you are in Fallujah or whether you are in parts of Ukraine or elsewhere around the globe, because there are literally people, uh, police officers, in tanks uh, dealing with protests, with protests that's peaceful, and you've got tanks down the street. Uh, we've seen this in Ferguson, Missouri, in the Midwest in this country several years ago. We've seen this elsewhere. So, you know, these are very important things. And, yeah, I mean, definitely, um, people who say defund the police, I don't necessarily think they mean just don't give them any money. I think that uh, some of it is about reallocating resources because, you know, police in the main are quite well-funded here in the United States. But I think certainly there needs to be a reallocation of resources to proactively police 
and engage in cultivating better relationships with people in communities. One of the things I would suggest, and people have suggested this before me just very briefly, is to have police officers living in the neighborhoods that they are policing. I don't know if that's a requirement in the UK. I don't think it is. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But but here in the United States, we need to have that. There are some municipalities that do that, but not very many. If yeah, we well, had certainly not certainly not that, in the UK. I mean, there's no there's no sort of residential requirements uh, for for police officers uh, in terms of whether they should live in the community that they police. Abs- absolutely none. I'm, I'm very confident about that. Let's bring in the uh, Geese Knock. An interesting yeah, yeah. Hi, Thank you. Geese I'm from Germany. Um, okay. A few weeks ago, I read an article. Don't know, don't know the source. Sorry, which said that the American police has a higher budget than the whole Russian army. So they are, I think, they are way overfunded. And uh, in other countries, uh, or in the United States, the police goes to uh, to a task or to to a, to a scene where in other countries a social worker or something with a medical uh, 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 job would go, would go to mm-hmm. and then the police shows up there and well sometimes they kill people who are uh, yeah who need a doctor but uh, well a few 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 weeks ago or last yeah uh, this happened uh, in Germany also but but uh, when, where a doctor called the police to help uh, him with a patient and uh, but he wasn't shot. He was treated bad and and, and died after that in the in the hospital. Yeah. And, um, with respect, sorry, I, I don't want to get too far away from the, yeah. the focus of this discussion, which is about stop and search. But I wonder if can you enlighten me in, in Germany? What are the rules on stopping a member of the public and then police officers demanding the right to search them? Uh, it's quite restricted. They have, must have a. Normally, they must have a reason, but sometimes in, in some areas they can they can stop anybody, like uh, in the area of train uh, train stations and uh, something like this. I think, but I'm not. But normally, they they need a reason. They can't just uh, stop anybody and, and search him. Yeah. So this this provision in the UK, which which will only be brought in at certain times and in certain places of of sort of unrestricted stop and search. <laughs> That that wouldn't generally hold in Germany. Generally, they they they, they can, but but it's restricted. Yeah, but well, I, I've I've seen so many many videos in the last months about policing in the United States and very bad policing that I sometimes think, after seeing these videos with people explaining what was wrong, uh, I know better about the rules for policemen in in America than many policemen. I think because they do so many things that are not allowed for them. That's uh, yeah. It's sometimes I think it's ridiculous. Well, in, in Germany, the the, the uh, to become a policeman is between two years and three years years of education before you become a policeman. And yeah, in, in some states in the United States, I heard it's possible to start to work as a policeman and and then being said, well, he'll make the education and and make the training uh, in about in a year. And then after a year, they say, oh, no, well, he's worked and enough as a policeman. He doesn't need the training. And then they are not trained and don't know what to do. <laughs> OK, let's bring Ryan into the conversation. Ryan's finished his extremely important other task now and he can join us. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah, apologies for that. Um, like I said, I requested the mic. I was going to request the mic, but it was an accident at that uh, point. Listen, but, um... You're welcome. But you, you very <laughs> casually said how many times you'd been stopped and searched. 
I think you actually misheard me. I said um, I could speak in about 15 minutes. I've actually been stopped. <laughs> no, 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 even worse. I've probably been stopped 30 plus times um, in my life. I've had my window smashed by police. I've been handcuffed with a window um, when things have not been found. I've had fines for illegal number plates, which were legal. Um, so I've got... I've got numerous experience um, as someone who hasn't got criminal background, as someone that is a working man, um, you know, someone that is law-abiding citizen. And I've had completely, um, like, you know, they're actually quite surreal. For me to even talk about them, if I didn't video document this, again, this is all on my um, pinned tweet on Twitter. If I didn't document these things, video evidence, pictures, and, you know, actually live these experiences, I'd actually think I was dreaming and thinking um, I was actually going mental because even saying this so casually, you know, I've had my windows smashed, I've had been fined for a number of places that are not legal. And they said they were illegal, they were adamant, they were going to arrest me for it. And I've been handcuffed through my window, you know. Um, and it's actually interesting um, that you've um, popped up with this chat um, and it's on my timeline because I've actually been stopped under Section 60 and when questioning officers, you know, um, they said that there was a large smell of cannabis coming from my window. They're not going to smell that when they're tailing me with their van and, you know, they can't see my number. plate. I couldn't so I couldn't even see the number plate of the TSG van. If anyone doesn't know what TSG are, they're um territorial support group. And with the Met Police, they're based in Shadow Heath in East London. And um, even, you know, internally, police actually despise them um they're quite brutal <clears throat> they will literally act like you're under arrest and they will stereotype you to the worst um possible outcome in their mind anyway mm. and, and on that run i mean it just intrigues me the extent to which you have been stopped and do you are you conscious of conforming to what might in their minds be a stereotype um, you, you know what, I, I've come to a point in my life where, um, like I said, this has happened 30 plus times. So I'm someone that is a firm a believer and also, you know, through anecdotal evidence and, you know, everything out there, that you have to video the police at every opportunity, never rely on their footage. They will either not put it on, they will edit it out, they will blur things, you need to video the police. So prior to, you know, camera phones, we had, you know, even lesser um lesser things we didn't have social media like we do now so even then you couldn't really upload videos mm. um with higher resolution and things like that so you know i've had police officers you know racially abuse me i've had police officers swear um unprovoked you know not casually in conversation i actually don't care about that it's when they're swearing at you um you know talking down to you which they still do to me they talk down to me um, you know, they patronise me, you know, and, and we've been talking about, you know, how it targets um, black and minority communities. So we're talking about the recent IOPC report that said um, black people were seven times more likely to be stopped and searched. Um, uh, mixed race and South Asian people were two times, um, 2.5 times more likely to be stopped um, than their white counterparts. And when you look at that, you can see um, that, you know, there is obvious um, stereotyping here because I've just done a 600 mile um, trip just um, to Newcastle and just doing that, you know, you have to fear for yourself. Are you going to get pulled over? You know, there's traffic officers and the the motorway you know it's interesting i don't want to divert the conversation too much but it's interesting because we were talking about taser use earlier as well this is something that we're getting stop and search powers abused we do not need police officers with tasers as far as i know i think we're going to be you know giving the power to people that 
you know, I don't know how many, how much some people agree with me, but I do believe police officers in general, not every officer, have um, quite fragile egos. And when you give them this kind of power, they enjoy exerting it. They enjoy seeing people, you know, um, under their power. So um, yeah, well, yeah, again, for people yeah. who are not up with that conversation, Ryan, this, yeah. the proposal is that volunteer police mm. officers, special constables, will be issued with tasers. They'll have to go through whatever appropriate training the police consider. But nevertheless, you've got effectively, you know, volunteers in uniform able to wield tasers in this country. That's wow, isn't it? That's a wow wow moment. Um, Giesnock wanted to come back in, I think, and and comment on on what you said, Ryan. Go on, Giesnock. I just wanted to say, but well, uh, in in Germany, we also have uh, problems with police and racial profiling because, if they want to stop somebody, they'll find a reason. Maybe, yeah, that, that's uh, always easier. And, and people who look don't look as the standard German uh, with German parents uh, are uh, controlled more often and more frequently than 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 people who look uh, German. Yeah. standard German. Uh, yeah, we, stereotypically German, blonde hair, blue yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I look like yeah. that, but but I have uh, uh, ancestors from all over Europe, and so then then, then I, I I was never stopped for for uh, uh, oh no I, one one time uh, I was stopped uh, and with an officer having a have the hand on and his uh, on his gun because uh, where I lived there was a, a big uh, uh, psychiatric uh, hospital with with also a prison for psycho uh, for uh, um, Sorry, uh, with for special criminals who are uh, who have psychological problems, and one of them was a was on the run, and I I looked familiar, but then I showed them my my ID, and they knew I wasn't the I wasn't the uh, psycho killer. <laughs> well, phew, we're, we're relieved about that, Giesner. Um Mike, I, I just kind of want to end really by reflecting on where some of this might lead us, because. Uh, Not that these were stop and search cases, but the reason why black people in particular have to fear the police are cases like Sean Rigg. They're cases like Mikey Powell, where black people have been taken into custody and have not come out alive. And... There are some frightening statistics about the number of deaths in custody involving black people, black men in particular, and the number or the lack of convictions relating to that. You know, this is this can escalate into something that is more than the already significant harassment that stop and search sometimes constitutes. Yeah, 100%. Look, we, we know already as things stand without the relaxation of stop and search powers. We know that stop and search is not used proportionately or fairly. That's only likely to get worse. And ultimately, this has led to racialized policing. And race, racism is a matter of life and death. So what we are talking about here is something that could potentially be faced. I, I mentioned the stat earlier that black people are six times more likely to face force by the police in Britain and twice likely to die during or following 
interaction with the police. You know, expanding police powers is only going to lead to, to more racialized outcomes that disproportionately affect people of colour in Britain. It's something we should all worry about. And I think this is all reflective of the government's strategy when it comes to racism. I, I mentioned it earlier, but the government's aren't concerned with addressing racism. If anything, the governments are pursuing a racist agenda that is going to disproportionately affect people of colour in all aspects. Looking at something like the cost of living and the way they're ignoring that, that has racialized outcomes too. This government do not care about people of colour. Unfortunately, we're going to have to continue to raise our voice and raise, raise awareness about these issues because they are massive life and death. Really appreciate your time today, Mike. Thank you very much indeed. It was your debut, so uh, we'll definitely get you back here again. Thanks very much indeed for taking part. Uh, really good to hear from uh, Mike and from Omar as well. Uh, Mike Bankole researches racism, uh, race and representation at King's College London, co-hosts the JAM politics podcast well worth checking out and uh, omar moore as well joined us as a sort of uh, main guest really omar is it popcorn reels isn't it the podcast omar your, your movie podcast i actually i do have a podcast called the popcorn reel podcast i also have a podcast called the politocrat daily podcast as well that does more politics there you go then so there we're given all the necessary plugs haven't we thank you uh, really appreciate it both and everybody who's joined in the conversation as well i think it's really important and it's a it's a conversation I'm, i fear we may have again perhaps sometime soon on byline radio and the byline times podcast but really appreciate everybody who's listened and taken part as well and just to remind you if you want to support these kind of conversations and the kind of probing journalism that we do on byline times then and, and let's be honest you know not really going to hear this kind of conversation anywhere and i mean anywhere on mainstream media both in terms of length and depth or even the question being asked really i don't think anyway uh, hopefully you'll agree with me and decide to take out a subscription to the byline times it's a brilliant monthly paper but the subscriptions also pay for byline radio byline times podcast byline tv as well get more details at uh, website bylinetimes.com thanks very much indeed everyone we'll see you again very soon do stay tuned to at byline radio and that's where you'll find details of our upcoming twitter spaces thanks very much indeed take care everyone good night cheers <laughs>